Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Today we have author, historian, educator, and writer Sean Posey on the program. Sean has written two books that cover local history for Lost Youngstown and Historic Theaters of Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley. Lost Youngstown takes a look at the steel mills, an industry that were once the lifeblood of the city and how their decline impacted Youngstown neighborhoods. With Historic Theaters of Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley, Sean takes more of a niche perspective by exploring the history of cinema in the valley. As an educator, Sean has taught history, English, and government at Cardinal Mooney High School in Youngstown and at John F. Kennedy High School in Warren. Brought to you by the Metro Monthly, I'm your host, Zeon Addison. Thank you for tuning in. And Sean, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, before we discuss those books and uh, more of your work, I'd just like to go back. Could you tell us a bit about your upbringing? Um, where did you grow up and what was that like? Sure. Um, I was born in uh, Youngstown um, and for maybe about five or six years of my life, I grew up in Boardman and my father got a job at Goodyear Tire and Rubber in the uh, corporate headquarters in downtown Akron. So I mostly grew up in the Akron-Canton area. Oh, okay. I went to high school in uh, North Canton, the Hoover Vikings, if anyone's familiar with that. It's about an hour from here, Okay, Stark County. Now, how did you get interested in history and writing as well? Well, I was always interested in, in history. Um, my father was uh, a chemist, but he had been a history major originally. And switched over to, to science, but I think he was almost deep, even a dual major. So I guess I got that from him. Um, I got my interest, too, probably in local or at least regional history from my father, too, who grew up in this area in the 50s oh, and okay. used to talk a lot about the steel mills and various aspects of life from that time period, which I always thought uh, were interesting. He was, you know, <clears throat> he was a storyteller. Okay. Yeah, I, I sort, of, um, sort of noticed that a lot. Often, like when you speak to older people who grew up in that area, they do have um, they have a like pretty re- interesting like retrospective of history. They can go back and they can tell you a lot about things that happened. Um, what would you say initially motivated you to start writing these books? Well, I had written a um, uh, I had written a lot of articles, uh, more like journalistic type stuff. Okay. And um, I wrote an article in 2013 called "America's Fastest Shrinking City," which was about Youngstown, okay. which got a lot of national notice. Um, Andrew Yang, some people might know, is running for president right okay. now in the Democratic mm-hmm. ticket on universal basic income, actually uh, referenced that article in his book oh, wow. that he wrote right before he uh, ran called The War on Normal People. So it got out there mm-hmm. um, a lot. And I was contacted by the History Press, which is a publishing house, and invited me to write a book about the Youngstown area. And that's where Lost Youngstown came from. Um, that was the first book I did. But I had done some articles previously for, um, I should say, essays for some anthologies like um, Car Bombs to Cookie Tables, which was a uh, an anthology about Youngstown history that came out in 2015, done by Belt Publishing, which is a publishing house in Cleveland. And then I did another essay um, about Pittsburgh that same year uh, that came out in the Pittsburgh anthology. Same type of thing, you know, a book that was a series of essays, also put out by Belt Publishing in, in Cleveland. They do all of these different anthologies for different cities in the Rust Belt. So, like, there's an Akron one, and there's one on Buffalo and Detroit and oh, wow. Cleveland and so on and so forth. I feel like um, Youngstown itself, it sort of has, like, it's like the quintessential um, Rust Belt city mm. in so many ways. Um, but what would you say 
or what in your opinion would be unique about Youngstown history that sort of sets it apart from other cities in the Midwest and the Rust Belt? Yeah, it you know it does have a unique history. You know, it was a it was a midsize city probably at its height in 1970. There was about 170,000 people that that lived in Youngstown, and it was like the 45th largest city in the United States, which is okay. something interesting to think about now, going back to the Depression. Wow. But um, what's interesting about Youngstown history is that um, even though it was a midsize city, it was at the heart of um, one of the largest steel producing centers in the world. Um, sometimes people called the Mahoning Valley America's Ruhr Valley after the, the Ruhr Valley in Western Germany that okay. was known for you know, being kind of the industrial heart of Europe. So um, a lot of the, um, what I like to tell people is a lot of the major themes in American history, you can um, describe them by using a Youngstown story, whether it be oh. immigration or uh, the rise of industry or unionization or race or organized crime, of course, all kinds of different things. Youngstown's history is very, I think, emblematic of, of um, broad themes in American history. Now, outside of the closing of the mills that contributed to Youngstown's decline, I guess, in large, um, what other events would you say outside of that helped contribute to Youngstown's decline? Yeah, you know, it, um, one thing interesting, I, when I was a, a graduate student at YSU, I did a thesis on the kind of the post-war decline of Youngstown before the steel mills closed, because okay. I became, I became uh, aware of the fact that there was all kinds of problems going on long before the steel mills closed. And the 1960s was kind of the, I think, touchstone decade for that. Um, during the 60s, Youngstown lost 27,000 people, about 16% of its population. Wow during the 60s. Now, most of these people could be accounted for from moving to other parts of Mahoning Valley, so they generally stayed in the area, at least mm -hmm. during that time period. But what I did is I went around and I looked at as many similar-sized, a little bit smaller, and larger Rust Belt cities and compared them to Youngstown during the 1960s. So everything from Detroit, as far as size goes, you know, okay. over a million people at the time, to Gary, Indiana, Flint, Michigan, mm -hmm. cities today that are in very similar positions to Youngstown, and I couldn't find another city that had that much of an outflow of people during the 1960s. So I think a combination of um, early loss of industrial jobs, so there was jobs were already starting to be lost, uh, there was a lot of suburbanization here, and a, a good chunk of that I think also had to do with urban renewal. So people who don't know anything about that in the Starting, the idea came from the 1940s, but starting in the 1950s in a lot of these, especially older industrial cities, as people were moving to the suburbs, a lot of uh, people in the Democratic Party, which was primarily controlled most of these cities, mm -hmm. and the federal government thought it might be a good idea to go in and clear out old industrial areas in what were called quote-unquote slum areas. Now, a lot of these areas... Um, you know, what what became designated a slum was was up to city planners, but a lot of it turned out to be immigrant, old immigrant neighborhoods and black neighborhoods too. And a lot of these areas were erased to make way for industrial projects or to make way for um, the interstate highway system. Okay. And that, in retrospect, now I think it's generally agreed upon by historians this was a terrible disaster and it did a lot of serious harm to cities. And Youngstown, I think, is an especially obvious case of that. A lot of neighborhoods were ruined and a lot of people were displaced during that time period. And I think it had a big impact on the city, big, very big negative impact. Okay. And this was, you know, years before the mills began to close. Wow. So um, 
that you do mention the um, how, how the um, neighborhoods or the urban renewal went from like immigrants and like mm-hmm. they racialized the neighborhoods. But I remember, um, I think it was last year I was speaking to someone. They they mentioned the book to me, um, Cities Without Suburbs, which sort of I guess touches on how segregation and like economic aspects changed like a lot of the mid-sized to major metropolitan cities in the United States. So in your perspective, how would you say racially segregated neighborhoods impacted the city of Youngstown? Well, I think it was really, it had an enormous impact, more so than I think people are aware of today. Um, You know, the area, uh, for a long time, segregation wasn't really um, there wasn't a, a lot of segregation. There were mixed neighborhoods for a long period of time, but in the 40s, the 50s, that began to change. This, there was a lot of neighborhoods that got more and more African-Americans coming in, and most of this had to do with the, the Great Migration. Mm-hmm. That is, people coming up in two waves, starting in World War One and another around World War II, uh, blacks coming out of the South to get away from Jim Crow, A, and B, to, to find work outside of agriculture and so a lot of them ended up in places like Youngstown and as that increased as they increased in number segregation got worse in the neighborhoods people started to leave the city Um, there was a lot of disinvestment in neighborhoods and places that had a high percentage of African Americans also were not invested in by the city that older housing uh, overcrowding people couldn't get loans to buy houses or to fix houses up or to start businesses and then of course the city also targeted some of these areas um, some areas that were actually fairly vibrant and you know put i680 through them or whatever you know type of project and that had a huge impact too because if the time if you were black and you were in one of these areas that were targeted after your home was gone unlike white recent white immigrants, you couldn't go to Austintown or Boardman. There were very, very okay. few people who were able to do that because of redlining and things like that. So you had to go to another already overcrowded part of Youngstown, especially the Lower South Side. So there was a lot of pressure put on the Lower South Side in the 60s because people were being displaced from elsewhere and they were being pushed into smaller parts of the city that really weren't able to accommodate them. Now, um, what what would you say that Youngstown residents today would be able to draw from local history, maybe the mistakes or missteps that were made in the past when they're considering the future of the city? Well, you know, it's still, you still hear, I mean, you have to be of a certain age, obviously, to remember that and uh, to remember that yourself. And you you will hear older people talk about that era. But there's still, um, when Youngstown 2010 came around, the idea that, um, under the Jay Williams administration, this this kind of first, actually, I think it was the first city plan in America that I know of that planned around not growing, but shrinking. So mm-hmm. it was the idea that, okay, Youngstown's shrinking. We're going to stop pretending that it's it's not going to be shrinking in the near future, and we're going to embrace it, and we're going to find a way to, to quote-unquote, right-size the city. So make it a better, smaller city. But the idea behind that almost was that um, they wanted to relocate uh residents from certain areas of the city that have high levels of vacancy to other areas of the city. And the discussion of urban renewal, I think, came back up. And there were people who were saying, well, you know, what's this 2010 plan going to mean? You know, what's it going to mean for areas that have been traditionally hard hit? You know, are we going to get the shaft again? Um, 
the city basically decided that it wasn't going to use eminent domain to take people's properties, okay. which was done during urban renewal, and it was such a you know it left such a bad taste in people's mouth that it's not really done again. So when we're talking today, even when um, people were talking about the recent chill can plant over on the east side, um, oh, okay. where they they closing some streets off and, and they had to move some people out of the area, there were a lot of people who said, well, hey, you know, this is another project that is hurting primarily lower-income African-American people who had to bear the brunt of some of this stuff in the 1960s, mm-hmm. and some people questioned that project you know, using uh, some of the examples from our recent history. Okay. Now, I myself am not um, a Youngstown native. Um, moved up here to go to school in about 2013. Um, I'm originally from, like, central Ohio area, so Marion County, if you're familiar. Okay. Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, just, like, right above Franklin County. Um but when I moved here in 2013, I did live on the north side for about two years. I had a roommate. We had an apartment. Um, and north side's a pretty historical neighborhood. You have Fifth Avenue, the mansion's there. But right. then you also have the sort of the other side of the street where older homes, but not as not as elegant or luxurious. Um, but even now, in just those past years that... And I've moved to Austin, Austin Town since then, but... Mm-hmm. Um, in those past years since I've moved away, the north side really has, it's seen some changes with like local shops, restaurants, things that are seem beneficial to the neighborhood. Maybe in the net, in, I don't know, maybe what the timeline would be, maybe in the next five or 10 years, what would you be able to say about gentrification in Youngstown neighborhoods? Maybe not just specifically the north side, but maybe in other parts of the city. Yeah, I mean, there is, um, I'm thinking specifically about like what's going on in Elm, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the little kind of mini business districts yeah. happening there. And obviously the university has been expanding over yeah. time. They're building more and more student housing um, in that area. And, you know, obviously a lot of people see it as um, as positive change. And I don't know if I would use the word gentrification. I don't know if, if, if that's maybe the, the quite the right term, but I would say that there's probably going to be a question of, and, and some people have raised this too with, with some of the development downtown is of who benefits, you know, mm-hmm. so are the benefits of, of growth and new businesses going to be widely felt or is it just going to be, you know, people associated with the university or, you know, better educated people, are they going to, you know, enjoy the fruits of this and then some of the more, um, the more distressed areas, you know, get left out of the conversation and there's definitely people who I've, you know, heard talk to me or give me their impressions of what might what should happen or what okay. might happen as far as that goes and of course it's hard to say but it's a it, they're, they're good conversations worth having yeah i guess only time will tell with these types of things we'll see what the future holds um now just to transition a bit to one of your other your other book that you wrote the um his, historic theaters of youngstown and the mahoning valley um i feel like when most people think of movie history or old hollywood these they start thinking they start thinking about old Hollywood when they think about the history right. of cinema. But what would you say, um, or how is it that Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley came to have such a robust theater or entertainment scene? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. What I um my my theory anyway is that in we think about movie theaters, um, that goes all the way back to the idea of the Nickelodeon. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure if people are familiar with what Nickelodeons were. Um, this is the beginning of the 20th century. Nickelodeon theater is basically like the most basic, primitive type of theater you could think, okay. where people paid a nickel 
to get into a little storefront and sit in, you know, little card table type chairs and uh, watch maybe a series of very, very short films. Sometimes not even films as we would think of them today, like people juggling and that would be the most primitive type of stuff. But eventually you had like newsreel type of things that would be shown. Um, So the very first that any historian can pinpoint, the very first Nickelodeon theater or semi-modern theater in our minds opened in Pittsburgh in 1905. So within about a year, there were theaters in this area. And my, my guess maybe is that our proximity to Pittsburgh okay. caused that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there were some businessmen who went over there and saw this and said, well, heck, you know, why not import this idea over here? Because we had theaters, a lot of them mm-hmm. very early in downtown Youngstown and then in Warren. Um, you know, 1906, 1907, before a lot of cities that this size did. And my only guess is is because of our proximity to um, John Harris, I think, is, was the guy who opened the first Nickelodeon Theater. And it was called the Nickelodeon Theater okay. in Pittsburgh in, in 1905. How how would you say that those theaters at the at their height contributed to the overall culture in Youngstown at the time? Yeah, you know, I think um, Youngstown might have been a perfect place to for the Nickelodeons. Um, at the time, if you were of a certain social station, um, that is somebody who was wealthier, mm-hmm. you, um, your primary form of, of entertainment would probably be going to someplace like the Grand Opera House or okay. the Park Theater downtown, which was live theater, like opera, Shakespeare, things of that, quote-unquote sophisticated mm-hmm. entertainment. But these little Nickelodeons, I think, probably expanded and were very popular in Youngstown because they were cheap. Um, they ran almost 24 hours a day. Okay. And that, of course, you know, around here would have made sense because of the mills functioning all the mm-hmm. time, and most of them were in the downtown area. And they were silent films, and the subject matter was simple. And you had a lot of people coming into the area at the time who were not English speakers, either primary English speakers or didn't speak English at all. Okay. So a silent type of film with very simple subject matter would have been easy for them to digest mm-hmm. as opposed to Othello or something like that yeah. in, in English. So I think it was kind of a perfect um, entertainment platform for a growing immigrant community. And, you know, I was even able to determine that there were um, Italian-named theaters downtown. I assume they were also Italian-owned um, that, that showed films. I, and I, I can't exactly know why there were so many of them that they catered to Italians. I mean, there was some prejudice against Italians at the time. Okay. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. I'd just be guessing. But... Um, it was it was big. They were, um, you know, by 1907, 1908, um, there was a little section of downtown around Boardman Street that was like designated as a mini theater district. And oh, wow. there was like six Nickelodeons just within like about a, a block or, a, you know, half a block radius. So it was really, you know, it, it, it took off quickly. How many of those theaters or slash landmarks do you think or have you learned do they how many of them remain in the Mahoning Valley in the Youngstown area? Very, very few remain. Um, of of even of the Nickelodeons, the only one that I can think of um, is if you've ever been to downtown Warren to the Nova Coffee Shop, hmm, which no. is right on the square there, you know, the little village green kind of next by the courthouse. Uh, yeah, I think it was a jewelry store before that. Oh, right downtown? Yeah, okay. but it's been a coffee shop for a few years. That was actually a Nickelodeon, oh, a wow. very, very early Nickelodeon that opened around 1907. 
So when you go in there, I mean, obviously it's, it's been changed. You know, it's a coffee shop now, but you go in there and look at the dimensions of the interior part of the space and the height of the ceiling and all that, it give you some idea maybe of what Nickelodeons were. You know, they're not a theater like we think mm-hmm. of today. These were, these were small storefront primitive theaters. But, so that is a historic space that that still exists. And as far as the larger theaters, we, there are a few more. Um, the Robbins Theater in Warren, okay. which is a 1920 era movie house. Wow. A bigger, you know, 1,600 people I think you could see. Okay. That is being redeveloped as we speak oh. by some local investors who, who plan on reopening it as a theater, oh, okay. though primarily a live theater, I think. Um, and then in downtown Youngstown, we have the Dior Performing Arts Center, oh. which was originally the Warner Theater. Oh, wow. Warner okay. Movie Theater. In fact, not only a Warner movie theater, but dedicated in the memory of Sam Warner, uh, one of the Warner brothers, mm-hmm. who, of course, grew up literally in downtown Youngstown, right down the street from where the theater is today. So that's kind of a local history intersecting with national film history. Oh, yeah, definitely, for sure. I, don't, um, I remember earlier in, uh, when I first started college, I took, um, I think it was like a film history course, and I think the professor did mention that the Warner brothers... From the Youngstown, where they're from, Youngstown. That's right, isn't it? They're, they were, um, you know, they were. Their parents were immigrants from uh, uh, Jewish immigrants from Russia, okay. and I believe the first place they settled was Baltimore. They came here from okay. Baltimore, but they kind of grew up, so to speak, in this area mm-hmm. and became interested in film as a business while living in this area. Um, and of course, the first Warner Theater was opened in Newcastle, and that is still there today. The, the space is still there. There uh, are some individuals who are attempting to turn it into kind of a museum for early cinema, and that was called the Cascade Theater. Uh, and then during the 90s, when that building actually had some structural problems, Warner Studios gave money oh, to wow. preserve the space, you know, recognizing that that was kind of the birth of what would become the Warner Brothers Empire, that, that little theater in Newcastle. I think um, at the end of last year, um, I think like city hall they, or city council they proposed to sort of I think buy a theater locally in Youngstown. Um, not exactly sure for how much, but in the context of like preserving these historical landmarks, what what steps do you think the city has taken or should take to preserve any remaining local landmarks? Yeah, you know that that's been a, a long-standing problem in Youngstown. You know the inability to to preserve a lot of local landmarks and and just in the last 10 years, as far as theaters go, we lost the State Theater downtown, mm-hmm. um, which is a big hole in the ground, but the facade is still there. So if you go down West Federal Street and you see this old terracotta theater facade and then a big hole behind it, that was the State Theater, which oh, sadly man. was torn down in 2008. And then in 2013, we lost the Paramount Theater, which is now mm-hmm. a parking lot, and that was the first big movie house downtown. So um, you know, theater-wise, there's not much left to preserve, but... Uh, you know, there are still always endangered historic structures uh, in the downtown and elsewhere that are representative of a certain architectural style in a certain period that uh, are worth preserving. And, you know, I think we're going to see more of these structures come up in the future, like the Masonic Hall oh, okay. um, in downtown Youngstown. Mm-hmm. You know, what that's a, a beautiful and historic building. You know, what's the future of that building? You know, that's a building that, that could be, you know, face the prospects of demolition. I don't know. That's people were interested in historic preservation. Be worth thinking about oh, that yeah. building in particular. And now, as for yourself, um, you do work as a photojournalist. Um, 
Could you tell us a bit about your role in like sort of preserve or the importance of preserving history through photography? Yeah, you know, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I, I was interested in photography, maybe even before I was interested in history. Um, but I'm also interested in um, historic photography mm-hmm. and preserving. Uh, and that's one thing that I discovered in the process of doing this books is there's a real dearth of historical photographs in this area of you know the Mahoning Valley in general, and especially neighborhoods and things like that. Um, so I would encourage anybody that has old photographs, whether it be their grandparents or parents or whatever, um, to not throw that stuff out and to preserve it. And even if they don't have an, uh, you know, any, uh, anything that they want to do with it, to give it to the historical society. I think it's important to preserve pictures that tell you know, what the landscape of this area looked like and what the people looked like and maybe some of the things that they did. Yeah, absolutely. And especially I feel like with social media today, you know, Facebook, Instagram, preserving local history through photography, you can yeah, you can share online. stuff online. Yeah. To, yeah, and there's a lot of sites on Facebook dedicated to Youngstown, Youngstown history, where you'll see people mm-hmm. scanning and sharing very, very cool images that they have from their families or whatever. In some cases, maybe themselves have taken, you know, oh, yeah. decades and decades ago, and it's always cool to see people sharing that so it gets out there and people can yeah. people can enjoy it. it just doesn't sit in a, a vault or yeah. an archive or yeah. in somebody's shoebox. More of a long-lasting digital archive. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. All right. Thank you again for joining us today, Sean. Uh, We appreciate your time. For those of you tuned in or listening back to this episode for the Metro Monthly, I'm Zeon Addison. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Metro 30 is produced in collaboration with the Youngstown Radio Reading Service. Visit metromonthly.net for news, features, and the Valley's most complete calendar of events. And be sure to subscribe to the Metro 30 podcast.